everybody. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse with Nurse Q. Hello, Q. Hey, hey, Q hey. Nurse. I said it the wrong. I said it wrong. Q That's nurse. okay. Q the nurse. Nurse Q. You can call me whatever you want as long as I'm a nurse and my name okay. is Q. All right. Well, you are a nurse and your name is Q. So That's thanks right. for coming back to Good Nurse, Bad Nurse to tell some more stories about healthcare professionals doing good things and bad things. Oh yeah. <laughs> I love my good nurse stories, but I'm always I'm here for the bad nurses. I'm here I'm here for the bad nurses, Tina. <laughs> I know. Yeah, most people are, honestly. Yeah. But <laughs> so this week we first of all, we want to definitely thank our sponsor Trusted Health for sponsoring our, our podcast. They are a travel nurse agency and later on in the middle of the show, so at some point we'll have a little commercial that will play, right? That we can yes. yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. Trusted health. So as usual, we have a, a, a news story to talk about. This story is actually, a, a, it's not a recent news story, but it's one that I thought was interesting because it's kind of scary to think that, this, that something like this could happen. And it makes yes. me kind of wonder, you know, what kind of, what was in place at this hospital. So in Ann Arbor, Michigan, there is a man who died at a VA hospital because, well, I won't say it's necessarily definitely because of this, but a man did go into cardiac arrest and because a nurse said that he was a, he had do not resuscitate orders, then they did not do all of the measures normally would be done for someone in this case to try to bring him back. They didn't do CPR. They didn't do CPR. She went to get an, um, an EKG when he started complaining of chest pain and nausea. Nausea. He had had surgery to, by, to bypass a blocked artery. And then, so he was stable enough for surgery. I don't know how old he was, but he starts complaining of chest pain, nausea. She went to get the EKG machine. And when she returned, he was unresponsive and he was breathing abnormally. So he wasn't completely gone. And she told all of the staff that he had a DNR order and it was not true. He was a full code. Yeah. Before we started recording, Tina and I were talking about this and I was like, out of like, so there's all of these skills and techniques and everything that you need to learn and do as a nurse that you, you just like, it's good to know as a nurse and it's bad if you don't know them, but it's not the end of the world. This is literally like the only rule is when you become a nurse that you cannot break. I mean, like, this is the only thing. Like, this is, like, the number one thing. Like, you can't, I mean, you have to resuscitate someone when they go down, when they pass out. And I, I don't know. I feel like I want to empathize and I want to, to sympathize with the nurse in this situation. But, my God, this is a horrible mistake to make. It makes me wonder, because while I do agree with you that it, of all the things that, that you could do, if anything, you would, to me, you would err on the side of doing compressions when you weren't supposed to. And oh, I've yeah. seen that happen. I have seen that happen before. Oh, ditto. So that's, a, oh, that's, a, that's really funny because, yes, and, but. Because if you don't know, right, if you don't know, if you're not even, if you're not 100% sure, what do you do? You just start doing them and then you, yeah, and then you I stop. Was, yeah. I was, yeah, I, 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 I work in a telly floor 
cardiac floor. So it happens a lot where the charge nurse is just looking at the, what's it called, the monitors. And when she sees something that's crazy, VTAC, VFib, whatever, she'll run to the room and she'll start doing whatever she needs to do. And then the nurse comes in later or whoever comes in later is like, stop, stop, it's a DNR. And that's, that's life. That's what ha- needs to happen, right? But for the opposite to happen. But Tina, I was just thinking, and I think it's just like, I think... Because you just said that he had surgery, and I know for all of these cardiac patients that even if they are a DNR prior to surgery, they have to switch to full code for 24 hours or 48 hours, like for a specific surgery. Mm-hmm. Is that what you guys do at your place as well? Yes. Yeah. yeah so you I can't. Think- you can't be a DNR and have surgery because you exactly. You're literally intubating them for one thing, which would go against a DNR order. So. That could be it. He could have been a DNR and then switched just for the surgery. It could have been the day of or the day after and then shit hit the fan because that would be a, a really tricky, weird situation, right? Yeah. For someone who's a DNR for just one day. I mean, who's a full call for just one or two days. It would, but it sounds like that. It didn't. It, it really doesn't sound like that because I don't know that it would have made headlines, you know, if that happened. I don't know. And it sounds like she was adamant telling all the staff that, that the patient was a DNR. I, I feel like there should have been something in place where that was over the head of the bed or a wristband right. on him. Exactly. Oh, yeah, because they do all of those things, too. And now don't people bring in, like, the computer to start charting and, like, they would see it right there, DNR or full code. Like, I feel like there's... Even if you think someone's a DNR when they're not, there's a lot of things that should be like very blatant mm-hmm. to like point to the other way. If and I don't know if this happened or not, but in at our facility, even if a patient is a DNR, if they if there is a change in their status to uh, to the point that you'd be concerned about them, we would still do a rapid. We would call a rapid response because oh, it's yeah. not that you're not treating the patient you're just not going to do compressions and you're not going to intubate them and you mean this is like prior to them going pulseless like you mean well i just mean right if they if they're laying there unresponsive but still breathing you're going to call rapid right yeah makes sense of course yeah we do that and then when the team gets there you're going to say they're this is a dnr but we we just want to see what measures could be taken that aren't considered resuscitative measures and sometimes there are and sometimes there aren't. And like, and like to all the nurses out there, you got to understand, like, I feel your pain, right? I go to work sometimes, you have five, six patients. I don't know where you work. Maybe you have seven, 10 patients, like wherever you work, you might not know off the bat, like you walk into a patient's room, they're unresponsive if they're DNR or not. But like Tina said, you got to err on the side of their full code and then find out later that they're DNR. You can't like think someone's a DNR and just go with it, not knowing a hundred percent. You need to know a hundred percent. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, I think that one reason I really wanted to do this story, even though it was not necessarily a recent story, this was from a couple of years ago. This is not a mistake you want to make. <laughs> and no. there's a lot of there's a lot of new grads and new nursing students that listen to this podcast, and I just want to really drive it home to how important it is to know before you say something like that, before you go telling everyone the patient is a DNR, you want to, you need to be looking at it on a computer screen, on, on a wristband, on something. Don't rely on your, because apparently she got this patient mixed up with another patient. And that is easy to do in these. um, I know that many times if you have two 80 something year old 
white males with CHF exacerbation and COPD and all these kind of respiratory cardiac issues. And they're, they kind of look the same, honestly. They're just sort of, it's easy to go, wait, which one of them was the one that, you know. Yeah. I, like literally, like I, that's a lot of similarities. If you had two patients look ex- like totally different and they just, the both their like reasons, the diagnoses for being in the hospital were CHF, I get them confused, man. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's easy to get it confused, especially when you're going through the day dealing with yeah. a million different things. So just be super careful. Tina, Tina is so right. Just, this is a mistake you really want to <laughs> stay away from. For sure, for sure. Just be careful, and um, Please and, thank and you. maybe if you work at a hospital that does not have a way to identify quickly the code status of a patient, maybe consider doing a project or something at your at your hospital and talk about. You could do a, a poster presentation or something like that, and kind of look at your. You can pull data, talk to your librarian or whoever at your hospital, and see if you can do maybe a research project or something and get something changed. So I know, I just don't want to go out for the tangent here, but what do you guys do at your hospital? Is it just a wristband? Or do you have like those things outside the patient's room, like on the door that has like, we have like, so we have this thing in our hospital where like, if you can't use someone's left arm because they have a fistula or whatever, we have like these big laminated times we put right on top. So anyone who comes in to check a blood sugar or do blood pressure, any CNA, whatever knows no blood pressure, nothing on the left arm, no, whatever. Right. And for some reason we don't have that for DNR and full code patients. And like, obviously we don't need to put both DNR and full code. We should just maybe use it for just DNR patients. But for someone who was telling me that that is inappropriate, to have a big sign that says DNR. Do you think that's inappropriate? Well, maybe. I guess the reasoning is that it's sort of, maybe it's not good for the patient to see that on the wall. I guess, but. In the family. Is it really that big of a difference, but then you can't use your left arm? Like, is well, that my thing really- is, we, our policy is to always grab a computer and turn it and, and get to the record immediately when something oh, like okay. this happens. So. So it's going to be there. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, so that's our news story. Yes. Hey, Q, we're in a commercial, so we got to talk fast. Let's do it. Okay. So I think I know the answer to this question, but have you ever signed up for a travel nurse agency and immediately regretted it when you started getting all those texts and emails? Sadly, Tina, yes, I have. Okay. Well, Trusted Health is a nurse travel agency that's going to change all of that. They make it simple and fast to go online and sign up, and then you immediately start seeing job opportunities that are tailored to your interests, and you can even see the pay. Sounds too good to be true, Tina. Well, the best part is there are no recruiters, no unwanted emails, and no unwanted text messages. No recruiters? Tina, I'm going to need some help. Where are we going to go if we have all these questions? Right, right. Well, they do have nurse advocates who are there to answer any questions. They'll help guide you through the process, but they're not commission-based, so they're not going to try to pressure you into taking a job that you don't want. Cool beans, cool beans. Well, tell them where to sign up because we're running out of time here. Okay, right, right. So, you guys, if you're even a little curious about travel nursing and you want to help support our little podcast here at Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, please go to www.trustedhealth.com forward slash goodnurse and follow the steps to completing the sign-up process. It's real important that you complete the whole process for us to get credit, and we would really appreciate the support. Remember to be sure and put forward slash good nurse at the end of the URL when you go to their website so they'll know we sent you there. Trusted Health, they're not just an agency, they're a movement. This week's bad story is a, it is a bad 
nurse story. It's one of those, it's not a hundred, we're not hundred percent clear as to what exactly happened. It's a bad uh, nurse's story. And, it's and nurses. Yeah. Yeah. And Tina, actually, we haven't talked about if she thinks that the prime suspect or suspects have done it or not. So I'm really interested to find out throughout the story, whether Tina thinks they did it or not. Yeah. Lot, lots of curves and turns in the story. So buckle up, y'all. Let's go. We'll see. We'll see. So the, this is actually about the Ann Arbor hospital murders that happened in the mid-70s. In July and August of 1975, there were quite a few patients that were experiencing unexpected respiratory failure. And so right around August, there it really sort of came to a point where there were three patients that actually experienced respiratory th- failure in a 20-minute period. And it really got the chief anesthesiologist up there at the hospital investigating closely and trying to figure out what could possibly be going on because it just really didn't fit with um, what normally would be happening at their hospital. An unusual uh, number of these patients dying from respiratory failure yeah, yeah no and and like i don't know so tina see this is what i'm talking about right like you know when people say like oh there's like uh there's a black cloud following me there's been a bunch of like dnrs i mean a bunch of codes there have been a bunch of deaths mm-hmm. like and i know like in the video that you sent me they said that it was like not the same but for someone to have noticed that it was that big of a difference or that big of a change, especially when it is in the ICU or the CCU, is crazy. Because as my time as a nurse, I've had spans of time with like three months of nothing go happening and then two weeks where we have like four codes. So like the the fact that someone noticed it and went in to look at look at it and like look at the details, I think like hats off to that person because this is something that could have easily just been like, some people died this last week and we're moving on. Right. I agree with you. I think that's great that this uh, doctor was on top of it, trying to figure out what was going on. And so the doctor, Ann Hill was her name. She was looking at all of the patients and she realized that there was really, there weren't a lot of common denominators among the patients. But one thing that, that she did notice is that they were all receiving IV fluids at the same time, all of them. So by um, August 15th, she realized that the symptoms that were going on with these patients actually resembled the effects of a drug called Pavilon, which is something similar to Vecaronium or Rocaronium that is used today. I don't, I I had not heard of that medicine before, but thanks to Google, (laughs) I know now. Yeah, yo, Tina. So I gotta say, sub, sub. I have given a, quite a few uh, fluids in my time as a nurse, and Pavlon has never been an ingredient in any of those fluids. So something is happening here. There's something spicy happening here. No, because Pavlon is actually similar to those uh, medications, the neuromuscular uh, blocking agents that are used to have a, a patient's muscles completely relaxed so that you can intubate them, perform surgery. You, They have to have someone breathing for them, of course. We've learned this on Good Nurse, Bad Nurse because there's been a few different incidences that we've talked about that's involved these types of, of agents. <laughs> yes, yes, we have. So when she... when it, So she's thinking about this drug and she's thinking about the similarities between 
the, the all the symptoms. Right. Yeah. So then when on this day, on August 15th, when the first attack happened, she did a test to, to see if it was Pavilon. And then it was positive. She gave an antidote that's used to reverse the effects during surgery. And when she administered that medication, it immediately worked and it reversed it reversed the effects and the patient recovered quickly. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm loving this doctor, Tina. I am mm-hmm. loving this doc. This is patient advocacy, like a hundred percent, man. This is her going out her way, do, looking up research, looking up meds. I'm really liking this doctor. I agree. And then two more cases happened later that day. And when that happened, she knew to go ahead and administer the antidote and those patients also quickly recovered. Yeah. So now there's no doubt in anyone's mind that there is someone poisoning these patients. These the patients in the hospital, they have to be. So they called the FBI in and the FBI came in. They set up headquarters in the hospital for several weeks. They were there investigating, interviewing all the employees. They had about 750 employees. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. That's a lot of people to be investigating. And Tina, do you is there, is there a number for FBI? So if like if the police is nine one one, is the FBI? Do you know if is there like a public known number for the FBI? I don't know. I feel like they should be because I'm like, but like, who decides something is crazy enough to be enough? I mean, anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that you call the FBI as in an emergency. So I don't think you need a a three digit code to be able to reach the <laughs> FBI. I think if you were calling the FBI, you could probably just Google it and get a phone number. <laughs> Yo, Tina, all right, I hear you. I see what you're doing to me. That's a good point. That's a very good point. It's probably the correct answer. <laughs> so, so they, they call start, the FBI? Yeah, they start interviewing these employees. And after they did the investigation, they identified 35 different cases of breathing failures that happened over a six-week period. And 10 of those 35 were actually fatal. That's scary. Yeah. That's so really they scary. start, yeah, they start kind of weaning through the the people who had access to these patients. You'd imagine they have to have access to the medication. They have to be, most of these p- patients were in ICU. That medication was also kept in the ICU. It was not kept in a locked refrigerator, but it was kept in ICU, so you had to be able ICU. to be, yeah. yeah, you had to be, it had to be someone in ICU. And and when they say so, that, they mean in the med room, right? I would assume. I know right. our refrigerator is in the med room, and, and our med room is locked, but the refrigerator isn't. But exactly. you have to be able to get into the med room. And on, on your floors, do are doctors able to get into med rooms? Do you know? I don't. And our and our unit, it's literally just the nurses. Like it's a like it's. I, I think like if you can come like lot like you know narrow it down to like you have to work in the ICU. It's like very simple. Like only nurses are allowed. No CNAs, no doctors, no PA. Like no one else but nurses are allowed in the med room. Well, our CNAs go into the med room. I, the doctors don't go in there. If they okay. if they if they were to ask someone for a code to go in there, they would be told what the code is. I don't think anybody would necessarily not let a doctor go in there but then again once you get in there there isn't anything stopping you from I'm just saying like in in the 
in the med room, there are locked Omni cells that you have to have a code to be able to get into. So your own personal code. Yeah. There isn't anything just open in the med room that would be um, that anything like this that would be that would be able to harm. But you said your fridge is just open. But it's right? just like antibiotics, diltiazem, okay. things like that that have to be refrigerated, Bumex, yeah. IV piggyback type um, medications. Makes sense. So they're narrowing down these people who could be potential suspects. And they kind of get it narrowed down to two nurses Uh who both had access to these patients in the following summer. So it took them all year, I guess, to do this investigation. But uh, a federal grand jury indicted the two ICU nurses, Filipina, Filipina Narcisco and Leonora Perez. They, they indicted them on 10 charges of poisoning, five counts of murder, and one count of conspiracy to commit murder. They went through a four-month trial and 13 days of deliberation, and then a jury actually convicted them of three counts of poisoning and conspiracy. So they must have felt like there was a lot of evidence. That's what I was about to say, because mm-hmm. it like, I don't know what the word is, but it sounds like it's just a lot of coincidental evidence. So they were the only ones available mm-hmm. or they, they most likely are the ones that did it. But there's no like 100% we have fingerprints on the syringe that we found in your backpack. Like there's no like hardcore heavy evidence. It's just you were the, you're the last two that we've narrowed it down to. So y'all get the blame. I don't know, Tina. Yes. And that doesn't, this story doesn't stop there. But I, one thing that I think of when I got to this point in the story, I was thinking about how if there were two, first of all, I feel like it would be really unusual for two nurses to conspire to do something like this. As unusual as I, I think it really would be for one nurse to even want to do something like this or think to do something like this, the th- actually to have two that would conspire to do something like this seems very unusual to me. And also, I think it would be very um, unusual for them to, one, not to turn on the other and tell what really happened, if the, if it was true. Right. I think, uh, you, you, Tina, we might have been doing this too long. We're on the same exact wavelength. That is literally what I've been thinking. I was like, look, if I was in some crazy scheme with someone else to do something horrific like that, one of us is getting thrown under the bus, right? Like, I feel like once it gets down to that, it's like, oh, you better talk to Boo Boo, right? But at the same time, like, you know these nurses. Like, I know nurses. And when you know nurses, when you do something that's off kilter, they'll tell you, like, straight up, look, I'm, I'm going to have to let the nurse manager know. You have to write an incident report. Like, I don't know nurses that are trying to cover up falls for other people. Forget about murders. That is insane. But, yes, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. So I, I find it very odd to me when I was just reading this story. And later that year, a judge granted the defense a request for a new trial because he said that prosecutors had created overwhelming prejudice against the nurses by some improper statements that he made in court. So the U.S. attorney did not retry them Mm -hmm. and they were released from prison. Uh Uh-oh. 
And they actually resumed their careers somewhere else. <laughs> live, for, live free and die hard, right? Like that's what I'm talking about, man. <laughs> Look, I can't, I can't. This, this is one of them cases that I can't say with 100% certainty that they did mm-hmm. it. And I'm inclined to believe that, I don't want to say that they didn't do it, but they have this, like, what's it called? Plausible evidence with reasonable doubt. That's the word. Right? What is that? Yeah. What the, yeah, reasonable doubt. I think there's reasonable doubt to say one of them or both of them didn't do it, right? So you can't, innocent until you're proven guilty, man. Isn't until proven guilty? I don't, I can't put someone in jail for all of those murders, all of those crimes. And you said they were five counts of murder and five counts of attempted murder or whatever. Right. That's a lot to like put on someone just on you were the last two that we've narrowed it down to. So I don't know. I I'm happy that they were released, but to be nurses somewhere else, that is, that's a whole different level. That's so well now. uh, So my question is, are you feeling okay? Because that sounds, that does not sound like cue the nurse. (laughs) That does not sound like the cue the nurse that I know who is ready to convict somebody within that first sentence. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's how I usually roll, but like, it's just, there's just way too much for me to say, what if there's too many, what ifs there's way too many, what ifs. Right. And I get it. And, but like, Tina, you know what it's like working in a hospital. You have 15 different people going into the same patient's room. Someone's going in there to turn them. Someone's going in there to clean them up. Someone's going in there to the respiratory nurse. I mean, therapist is going there for the BiPAP. Like there's a million people going into every patient's room, especially when you're in the ICU, right? And a hundred different doctors and a hundred different nurses. So to just blame it on two nurses that's just were there for those, like, I don't know. I feel like there's just way too many what ifs, but I still don't want them to be a nurse. Like I, like I just, I feel like if you, even considered to be a suspect in something like that. You can't be a nurse. I don't know, Tina. I can't, I don't know. I understand why you would say that, but I don't, I don't know if I can even agree with it because is it really fair just because someone is accused of something that if you're not convicted, which they were convicted, but it was overturned. So it's as if they were not, then just because you're accused of something, you should lose your license and not be able to practice as a nurse. That's fair. I know I'm trying to double dip here when I can't. So like, that's, that's the thing. Like if, if you were to like, you know, put me in a corner and tell me what do I have to decide? I'm like, yeah, they did it right. So it was overturned and they have their jobs back. Congratulations. Obviously they don't work at the same place, but if, if it were up to me, they would be free without being a nurse. But if you had, you know, if we have to do it legally, <laughs> then the way they did it is the way it's done. Well, one thing that, um, also, there's another thing to consider here, and that's the fact that it is mid-1970s. So there was there was a pretty important war that, you know, Vietnam protests were going on. A lot of people worried that it's possible that the FBI were just looking at these. These women were from Vietnam. They were immigrants from Vietnam. And this is during a time that was, I don't know that people really looked fondly on, on Vietnamese people. And so I think it's also easy to, it may have been easy for them to say, Oh, these two uh, immigrant women who it's, it's kind of like someone who's detached. It's not one of our own. So we can kind of blame them Easy to point the finger. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just easier. Yeah, no, I I think, I mean, I mean, that makes sense, right? Like 
you know, we're, we're at war with Vietnam. It's easy to point the finger at people from Vietnam. Like it's today, like all the anti-Muslim hate that's around because we're at war with the Middle East. We've been at war with them for like forever, right? So it makes sense that it, it's an easy scapegoat. But when you look when you look at the facts, it lines up to them being the only people available, right? So it's not like if you just follow the facts, it just it makes sense that it ended up being them. But to convict them for, I don't know, Tina. I don't. I don't know. Is this another one of them OJ Simpson cases? Like I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if. You Are you should... saying that the OJ Simpson case is an I don't know case? <laughs> No, I'm saying the fact that it was. Do we need to discuss? <laughs> really? No, I'm saying that just. I'm just saying like the racial tension and all that stuff. But like, I don't know. Yeah. All I'm saying is it's a little. There's a lot to it. There's a lot. There's a lot of stuff to it. But I stand with what I said. No, I agree with you. I I think that I think that they probably did have a lot of evidence, and those that jury did convict them. It's it's so it's very scary to me to think of people, 12 people convicting these two women and then they being released on, I guess, a technicality and then them going and working as nurses at hospitals. And they apparently have not spoken about this ever since it happened. Another thing that was, yeah, I wouldn't either. But another thing that was also brought up is the fact that they, their English was not exactly, they obviously had to speak very their English was uh, good enough that they could be a nurse at a hospital in, in the United States. But at the same time, like in a, uh, in a trial, in legal proceedings, there was some thought that maybe they didn't fully understand what was going on and weren't able to uh, participate in their own, in their defense because of the That's language better. barrier. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. That's a good thing to note, um, to take note of. So there is a book, that came out, it was written by, I believe it was written by a doctor there at the hospital called Paralyzing Summer. It describes the whole incident, everything that happened and kind of goes into, you know, all the details, but that's pretty much it. And that's, that's our bad nurse story for the week. 10 patients. It's a lot of people to go. I know. It's terrible. Yeah. But like, so, so the thing is, it's like, even if those two nurses, like I know we spent a lot of time arguing if or if they didn't do it, but someone did do it, right? Because the drug was there, the, the yeah. you know, the, the, what's it called? The reverse agent worked. Like it's very clear. They tested it, it was positive for the drug. My whole thing is, Tina, I don't understand why, right? There's like, especially when it's in a hospital, when it's like some personal, ah, you cheated on me, BS, like I get it. But when it's like random patients at a hospital, why are you doing that? Why know. are you doing the, that? I know. And, and there there are a lot of these angel of death kind of stories that we cover from time to time. I don't want to do them all at the same time because it would get kind of old doing that same story every week. It's They're all different and unique and eventually we'll get around to them. But in this particular case, there was also some talk about the fact that the nurses were upset about a lack of staffing and they were wanting to almost make a point by having all these oh, deaths. Jesus, Lord mercy. My God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's not how you make a point. You protest, you, you talk to your nurse manager, you go to HR, you mm-hmm. even strike. You kill patients. That's, right. <laughs> that's, that's and, not and how and you it do it, been, man. No, no, no. And it, it could have been... 
we don't know if they did it or not. We don't know if, if these, uh, but whoever did it, maybe that, maybe that was the motive for that person to do yeah. it. Yeah, it could be a, a million different reasons, but it just, it always blows my mind when it's random people, when you're like killing random people and there's no motive, but just like poison. It's like, uh, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So let's go, let's get into the good news. How about it? Yes, please. Good news. I'm ready for some good news. Me too. Although this story, I swear, every time this happens so often, you look at the description of like the good nurse, bad nurse, and it's like one is uplifting and one is, and I'm like, well, sometimes it's not because (laughs) sometimes the good thing that a nurse does, it is good, and at the same time, there's something sad that happens many times. Just the the nature of of someone being a hero. Sometimes there's a, a tragedy involved, and that's the that's the case in this this story. But it's also something very good and, and positive as well. Yeah, this story actually happened in Fargo, North Dakota, right? Fargo, yeah, Fargo. Right. Everyone keeps telling me to watch that show. Fargo, I haven't gotten. Have it. you seen the movie? No, I haven't seen any of it. Yeah, there's a movie that for years people would be like, Fargo, Fargo, and would hear people talk about it, like how funny it was and how, oh, it's just like the best movie ever. It's so dark. I watched it and I was like, that's what I thought. Why is this funny? I never, (laughs) I felt so stupid. I'm like, what if I get to start laughing? (laughs) I think it's kind of one of those things, like it's a serious movie. It's very dark, but there's some kind of, quirky things maybe some comic relief in it throughout and people people think it's funny because of some of some like quirky things that happen and I guess I could see that but because I was watching it thinking that people said it was funny and I'm like good grief this isn't funny at all this is yeah. yeah, maybe you're turning um, me off already because everyone keeps telling me I need to watch it. But don't watch. Well, and they're talking about this. Is it a like show, an right? old? Is it an older movie or is it yeah. like? It's a very old movie, and I it was very old when I watched it, and when it, when everybody was just talking about how good it was, and I was just like, this is depressing. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I like this movie. <laughs> a depressing movie coming from the good nurse bad nurse podcaster yeah shit i can't handle it i can't handle it no you can't so this story is out of fargo north dakota to do with the movie <laughs> it has nothing to do with the movie whatsoever yes. it's just that the only time i've literally ever heard the word fargo used right. in my entire life was referring to that movie and That's now great. in this story yes so this story actually starts with a really terrible crash in, in, that happened in South Fargo. And this crash was um, caused because a man, a 31-year-old man, was driving under the influence. And he wrecked. And he had his, he had two, his two children, two boys, in the car with him. One was seven and one was five. There was another person in the car as well. I think they were both in the front seat. But one of the little boys died, Jason, the seven-year-old. But the other little boy, Brandon, the five-year-old, he was in a really bad condition. But there was a, where this wreck happened, it was near a assisted, was it assisted living? 
Yeah, assisted living in a nursing home, one of the two. Uh, so where this happened, it was near a nursing home, and there was a nurse who was working there. And when they when this nurse saw the wreck happen, he went and just, I guess, was trying to help everyone. And I'm trying to get to the details. I don't think the story that I have, I, I have the one where they got back together, so... I know you say it all the time that like some of your good nurse stories aren't the mm-hmm. most uplifting, especially mm-hmm. at the beginning of the good nurse story. Ah, oh, mm-hmm. God, this one, this one hurts, Dina. Jesus, Lord, that's a I rough know. start to a good nurse story. It's horrible. And the thing, you know, it, it's every time, right? Drinking on the influence, DUIs, it's the worst thing in the world, right? Um, but every single time you hear one of these stories, the driver is okay. The drunk one is okay. The one under the influence ends up being okay. And it's someone else in the car that dies. It makes the story even worse when it's a kid. It's just, it's just the truth. It just is because the kid's helpless. It's not up to that kid to get in or get out of the car. It's not his or her choice. So these stories are just, thank God for the good nurse for saving the other child. But God damn it, Tina. Yeah. But they look so good together. If you guys are listening to this, you need to, I mean, they look so cute. Oh, I was gosh. looking at the picture when they reunite and yeah. <laughs> the kids were holding his Captain America figurine. They're just adorable. I know. So what happened originally is there was a, there was a crash and 31-year-old Christopher Lee was charged with driving under the influence with a minor in the vehicle and that resulted in serious injury. He also had 22-year-old Jacob Larson, and they were both taken to hospital, but really had no injuries, of course. Seems like that happens a lot, as you said. And I don't know why, Q, I'm sorry, I'm just having a hard time finding the details. Like I read this, and I can't find where it says that he pulled him out and started administering CPR, but I read it before. Do you, do you see it? No, I have. To, I also have the same one. It's just them reuniting. I don't see any details about how it happened. So what happened is when this nurse who's working at the the Meadows Nursing and Rehab Home realized this crash happened, he he ran out and removed the boy from the the vehicle and began performing CPR on him. So he had no idea what was going to happen, and they even said that he would probably not survive. He was put on life support and they were told he would most likely not survive. But what ended up happening is he did survive. And then later on, they were reunited and he was able to see this nurse, this man who performed CPR and saved, literally saved his life. Because if, because if he was that in that bad of shape that they thought he was not going to survive it at all once he got to the hospital. I can guarantee you there's no way he would have survived or he would have at least had, you know, an anoxic brain injury or something like that and would would not be in the, the shape that he's in now. So That's right. I mean, like, mm-hmm. when you, for all of you healthcare providers and even, like, just people in general out there that have done BLS, you know, life support, you know, and they, like, they stress this every single minute, every single second during that class. The longer you wait before doing CPR – the less of a chance you have. So the fact that he sees the crash happen and then he just jumps right to action, mm-hmm. starts, you know, giving the kid CPR is absolutely amazing. Like, and I, I say this every time when we talk about stories like this, but 
you can't like there's no way to replicate the amount of anxiety and commotion that's happening in a real life crash out in the world right even in like a in a nursing facility in like you know a contained whatever but out in the world something crazy like this and then you know exactly what to do and you go get get it done as fast as possible always kudos where kudos is deserved i mean he did the right thing and he did it quickly enough so the young man could survive it's great story good nurse all the way oh i agree that that nurse's name is jean pierre and he's actually from haiti and he i guess he fled from haiti you know all the things that have been going on there he fled there to come to america and now he was here to be able to save this little boy's life and his mom of course really appreciated it, or she would have lost both of her children that night it's horrible it's horrible it's a really really sad situation and i just want a quick shout out to all the emts because we always talk about like superstar nurses that jump on the scene and save the day but emts do this for a living right like and you just forget it because they're just that's their job is to go to the emergency but like good for y'all i mean yeah yes we should do a show about emts one time right oh that would be good but that would be really bad too i would hate to meet a bad emt if you just go to a scene and just be like, let me just wait till shit gets worse and then pretend to. You know, <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. Like I don't want, right. I would, I don't yeah. want to do a bad EMT story, but yeah, Mm-mm. maybe sometime in the future. Me either. I don't know that I want to know that, but you know, <laughs> there are people. That's right. There are people. People do bad things. Sadly. Well, I guess that wraps it up for another episode of Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Right, Q? Right, right. Appreciate you being here. Tell everybody where they can see find Q when you're not on Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. So you can find me, simple, easy, just Q the letter, then the nurse. Um, you can find me in any and every social, and as well as all and everywhere you guys listen to podcasts, just find Q the nurse. And you can listen to all my news stories and all my uh, everyday heroes. Thank you, Tina. Thank you, Q. I really appreciate it. Of course. Well, I just want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, right, Q? Right. Please be a good nurse. <laughs> <laughs>